0: thanks Jeff. So a warm welcome from Wesley Baptist Church to to you. Uh, Thank you for in February you loaned us Tom which was great. He preached for us on Mary and Martha and told those who have been burdened by serving the church to take a break and so all of our volunteers the next week quit. So this is my revenge Sunday. Um, You know it's been, been great since since moving here. Tom and I connected very early because we had, we had a mutual friend and it's been such a blessing to have a minister alongside who who loves Jesus who is passionate about the gospel and so I'm really excited and look forward to us as churches potentially partnering more I think in in this time more than ever it's It's really important for churches that that love Jesus, love the gospel, want to see people saved by the gospel, to work together. And denominations are are merely an afterthought. We we want Jesus uh, to be known. We're going to read in a few moments from from John's gospel. Uh, Jesus, after the resurrection, meets the the disciples and reveals himself to, to them. But Thomas isn't there. And Thomas struggles with that and struggles with faith. And I think in in a time now, there are a lot of people who struggle with faith. I think there's a lot that God has to say from His Word. So let let's read from John twenty nineteen to thirty one. John twenty nineteen to thirty one. On the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive, forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which, which means twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks, Stop doubting, and believe. Thomas said to him, "My Lord and my God." Then Jesus told them, "Because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed." Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. Your word which brings life to us. Your word which instills faith in our hearts and in our minds. Father, we thank you for the gracious, gracious way that your son dealt with Thomas. With his lack of faith. But calling him to faith. I pray that in your grace, you do that as well. that although we believe, would you help us in our unbelief? Open up our eyes to see Jesus afresh this morning, to hear his call to follow him. So, Father, from the written word by our brother John, through the spoken word which I believe you laid on my heart and my mind, our prayer, Father, is that we would encounter the living word, your son Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. I think it's fascinating the way that John finishes that chapter as he's bringing a close to the Gospel of John. He tells us why he wrote this book. He wrote this book that those who read it might come and believe. This is why the Bible exists. The Bible was given to us by God so that we would believe in Jesus Christ. There is a church here for 100 years with the very sole purpose of helping people know Jesus. You exist for the same reason why John wrote it, so that people may believe. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a missionary. You are called to be a witness to Jesus. A belief that has a a very different way of viewing the world than those who live around us. It makes us live differently. Faith in Jesus Christ does not merely bring us to a church on a Sunday, but it radically transforms the way that we, we live our lives on every day of the week. See, in one way, everyone has a, a faith or a belief system. And in some ways, that transforms the way that they, they live. The way that the Bible talks about that is it, it conforms them. They are conformed to the world. The faith in Jesus Christ is not about conforming to the world, but it's being conformed being transformed by the renewal of our mind as we engage with God through the scriptures. Coming to a faith in Jesus is not arriving at a faith position as though you didn't have one beforehand, but it is a changing of where your faith lies. It's a change of a belief system. All people are worshippers, and therefore underneath it all, people have a faith, but it the question is, what is that faith in? There's a great quote that I often bring up in sermons, and I'm going to do it now. It's, it's by a, an American author who is a, a young man when he died at his own hands. A deeply thoughtful author, not a Christian, but someone who thought deeply about faith and deeply about worship. And he was asked to address a university in 2005, and his name was David Foster Wallace. And he said this, here's here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly, and when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified in myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll never, ever, you'll never need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, although I think they are. It's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're kind of worship that you gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware That's what you're doing. And so the so-called real world will discourage you from operating on your default setting because the so-called real world of men and money and power hums merrily along in a pool of fear, anger, and frustration and craving and worship of the self. Everyone is a worshiper. Everyone has a faith. And if they don't find it in Jesus Christ, Christ, it will eat them alive. And so for the good of the world, Jesus came. For the good of the world, Jesus rose. And for the good of the world, Jesus sends us. There's a value system in the world that makes demands and conditions on people's lives that is eating them alive. What the world needs is to know Jesus. In the 19th and 20th century, doubting Thomas, as he was known, was was hailed as a a symbol of, of, of modern man, someone who doubts and is skeptical. He demands proof of what he believes. And Jesus is kind with Thomas, but he does rebuke him. He says, he shows him his hands, he shows him what he wants, but then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. And for the vast, vast, 99% of church history, we have not seen his hands inside, and yet we believe. Look, we all have, have doubts. In some ways, those doubts are, are not a bad thing. Tom was saying that you've been reading through The Prodigal God by Timothy Keller over, over Lent. Timothy Keller talked about doubts. He said, doubt a faith without doubt is, is like a body without any antibodies. Whenever a, 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 an illness comes or a threat comes, having those doubts fights them off. We, we are able to think about them and address them deeply. And as Christians, we should be thoughtful people. We will have doubts, and we should explore those doubts. We shouldn't be afraid of them. But it's very difficult if we do not doubt the things that we we hold most dearly. If you haven't met a Canadian, and, and you have today, Canadians fiercely love Canada. Canadians are very convinced that Canada is the best country in the world. If you ask them, have you been to another country, they will maybe say no, but we are still convinced that Canada is the best country in the world. And I was so convinced of this growing up. And, and, and it, it bewildered my wife, who is German. And then it bewildered the British people that I was around. But it's it this underlying assumption that makes so many Canadians Canadian that we don't even know how to question it. It's so much of a given that Canada is the best country in the world. I don't think it's that true anymore. Hopefully this isn't being broadcast to Canada or my parents aren't listening. <laughs> But we have these underlying assumptions that are so true that we don't even know where to begin to question them. We just assume, if you've been to Canada, you'll know it's the best country. The the faith that we encounter in, in the Bible, that we are called to have, is we are called to think it through. But where does the faith come from? Ultimately, it is not seeing is believing. The answer that the Bible gives us is hearing is believing. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the words of Christ. And this is what John is giving us in the gospel. This is what Paul reminds us in Romans. I think you guys are going through Romans Fest. You probably haven't gotten to Romans 10 yet in Romans Fest, have you? (laughs) Not yet. But in there you have that. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. What is it that prevents us from believing, of having faith? What prevents us from actually hearing the words of the gospel? The way that people come to faith in Jesus Christ through the gospel is the same way that our faith in Jesus Christ is sustained by the gospel. We need to continually remind ourselves of the gospel. That's why we gather on Sunday, the day that Jesus was raised, with other people who believe it, to remind ourselves that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus is Lord. Because everything else around us is telling us that's ridiculous. Everything around us is telling us not to believe that. And so we need to put these practices in our place to remind ourselves that Jesus is Lord. That's why reading your Bibles on a regular basis is important, it feeds your faith. But as you do this, you will come across intellectual obstacles. There are many intellectual obstacles to the Christian faith, and today's not the day to to address them. But I believe there is a a response to every intellectual response to the Christian faith. But I know you guys have Alpha starting on Tuesday. And if you are struggling with those questions, get along on a Tuesday. My my wife joined our last Alpha course, and, and for her she found it so encouraging to these, these questions that she'd been wrestling in the back of her head that she didn't quite know how to verbalize. When she heard other people ask those questions in the group, her faith was strengthened. If you're feeling weak in your faith, you're not alone. And I'd really encourage you, sign up. You can sign up, still sign up, you said. Sign up. You might even want to take out your phone and sign up now. Get yourself there. You, you will hear in, in the questions of people who are wrestling with the Christian faith to be a great encouragement to you. Ask life's big questions. Don't be afraid of the answers. Jesus Christ is Lord. But I think for most of us, it's not necessarily the intellectual obstacles. I think for most of us, the problem in believing in Jesus is the radical demand that it's going to make on your life. When Jesus came to the disciples in this passage. They were fearful, locked in an upper room. And Jesus comes in and says, peace be with you. Why does he do that? It's not simply that they're afraid. It's that their fear is keeping them in a room when they need to be out and proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. My 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 PhD is in in Baptist history, so it's really boring. (laughs) There's this German Baptist and he he said this thing, Yadis Baptist is ein Missionär, which means every Baptist is a missionary. But in reality, every disciple of Jesus Christ is a missionary. You are someone who is called to witness to Jesus. And that's really costly. (laughs) It costs Jesus everything to be sent by the Father. We sang that just a few moments ago. For us to respond in faith to Jesus, not simply a faith that brings us into a, a building one day a week, but a faith that continues and drives us every day of the week to be a witness to Jesus, wherever you are. There are some hands that only you can hold, there are some ears that will only hear your voice. You are called to be a witness to Jesus, to them. But the cost of, of following Jesus is incredible. It is terrifying. We had, a, we had these five baptisms last Sunday, and, and in, the, in, the, in the several weeks leading up to them, I was doing my best to convince them not to be baptized. Because it means you're going to die. It might not mean me by the hands of someone else, but you are dying to yourself Daily. Following Jesus is not a game. It's not supposed to be easy. If if it's easy, you're doing it wrong. It's good. And it's life-giving. It's exciting, but it is not easy. As the Father sends Jesus, he sends you. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus it means we, we don't get to ask anymore what do I want to do what are my dreams for my life or perhaps maybe even more difficult it's not what is the dreams for my children what is the hopes of my career these are very low down on the priority list is what is Jesus wanting from me today see that That is the thing which makes it really difficult to be a follower of Jesus is the implications of the resurrection. I will follow Jesus with no conditions. When Jesus bids a man to come and follow me, he bids them die, said Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The resurrection of Jesus we are in the Easter season still. I wonder if you ever thought, what if the resurrection were true? Now, we all, we all need to say it's true, because we're here on Sunday, we've sung it. But we actually thought through the implications of what the resurrection means. If you grew up in the church as, as I did, and, and you've been in the church as long as you can remember, it's such a given. The resurrection is such a normal thing that we talk about. But if you think it through for, for just a few moments, the radical nature of what this train track that we had, of Jesus in the tomb, not coming back on the other side, not a re- resuscitation, but a res- resurrection to something new. If that's true, that radically changes all of our hopes and dreams, everything that we we view about the world should be radically transformed by the resurrection. If Jesus rose from the dead, death isn't something to be feared. If, If Jesus rose from the dead, loss of anything is not to be feared. The resurrection changes everything. If the resurrection didn't happen, Paul tells us, if the bodily resurrection didn't happen of Jesus, our faith is futile. We're wasting our time on Sunday. We're wasting our time telling about Jesus. We should go out, drink, and be merry for our days are few. But if the resurrection did happen, imagine living a life as though the only explanation for your life is that the resurrection happened. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. For your neighbors, they... I don't really understand them. The only explanation must be they believe in the resurrection. You know, it's it's 1 Peter 3. Peter tells us as as Christians to be able to to give an answer from the hope that we have. We need to be sure, not not only that we have an answer, but that we actually have a hope. The resurrection is really good news that transforms everything. Imagine living a life in light of the resurrection. Without the resurrection, Jesus' life makes no sense. In, in, in Lent, we were, we were going through the Gospel of Luke, of Jesus' call on people to discipleship. And there's one time when he's walking alongside the road, and, and someone says, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, well, you know, foxes have beds. I don't. He said, well, let me bury, bury my father. Let the bury." their own. Jesus went out of his way to to make sure that people knew that the call to discipleship was, was difficult. Jesus gave up a bed for the sake of the gospel. Jesus entered into poverty for the sake of the gospel. Jesus was rejected again and again. Jesus was abandoned by friends, by family, And on the cross he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Without the resurrection, none of that makes sense. He is a failed first century revolutionary. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the vindication of a life lived in faithfulness to God. You need not fear... To live a life of faithfulness to God. Those things in the world around us. Our, our friends and family that, that don't yet know the Lord. This will seem like a wasted life. To Many people... The life of Jesus seemed like a wasted life. The only answer that he gives is the resurrection. We need to seek to be be a people, as I've said I think already twice now, that the resurrection is the only explanation for the life that we live. The disciples of, of Jesus placed all of their hopes on the resurrection. There was no plan B. There, there's no, no having uh, hedging our bets. As Christians, we place all of ourselves on the resurrection. So what we need to do is we need to find the things in our life that are, that are stopping us from placing all of our hopes and expectations on the resurrection. What is it, that thing that wakes you up early in the morning with, with sweats? That thing that causes you deep fear there's several in my life and the first thing that, that, that I try to do is confess them to God it will be the financial state uh, uh, of, of yourselves or of the church it will be your, your children's future plans and goals it will be your own health So those things that 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 cause us to fear—that's where we where we're finding and tapping into real real meaning of life. If your whole hopes and dreams are based are are put onto your financial success or your career success or your children's success, you're going to be disappointed. Everything in your life that is not dependent on the resurrection of Jesus needs to be reevaluated, And this will take a lifetime to figure this out. But the only thing that will not eat you alive is a faith in Jesus. It's the only thing that can't be taken away from you. Money will go Beauty and sexual allure will go. Power will go. Prestige will go. Reputation will go. Your children will move on. The only thing that cannot be taken away from you is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That that will bring a peace to you and a hope to you that will change the world. Let us seek to be a resurrection people with hallelujah as our song. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we are sorry and repent of all the things that we've placed our hopes on. Not only because it does it detract from your glory, but setting us up for failure. Father, would you open up our eyes to see Jesus afresh this, this morning, to place all of our hopes and dreams on him, that our lives would be based on nothing else. Save the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's in his name that we place our hope. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.